You mean you know who's behind these stunts? Not who, what. I believe our practical joker is the Enterprise itself. Bridge to all debts. Brace yourself for a wild episode of Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. I'm Scott Nance, and I cannot wait to hear the pun that my partner is going to use to introduce himself for this episode. <laughs> well, I'm Steve Morris, and I've replaced our microphones with dribble glasses and our speakers with whoopee cushions for this episode. <laughs> Not necessarily a pun. I suddenly went, well, I don't exactly have a pun. I try to come up with something. <laughs> something amusing, and that is definitely amusing. So, yes, I am talking not into a Yeti stereo microphone. I am talking into a banana, you know, but I'm not going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe on this episode of Enterprise Incidents, where we cover the animated series episode, The Practical Joker. So, Steve, you know, during this deep dive through the animated series, you know, there are a couple episodes that I remember real vividly. There are uh, uh, most of the episodes that I sort of kind of remember, but as we did our deep dive through them, you know, I certainly appreciated them more and had like big epiphanies when we tied it to the original series or other films. Like I never thought with the last episode that I would ever tie an episode of the animated series to 2001 A Space Odyssey, but it does work. I have no recollection of this episode (laughs) at all. (laughs) None. Uh, but I know I saw it, you know, unless I just missed it, and never thought about it. What did you think of the practical Joker, Steve Morris? I, I did actually remember it uh, vaguely. And it's it's so fun. Here, here's something interesting, something I hope will be interesting that I'll say, which is that so far in the animated series, while there have been episodes that weren't good and on in general, the average is way below what the original series is. Yeah, there have been no episodes that I found horribly offensively painful as I do things like when the children shall lead and all the torture stuff in Plato's stepchildren, all those other good things in that episodes or uh, the Mark of Gideon, you know, where I was just like, Oh my God, this is terrible. Yeah. 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 And I still haven't. So I would say that the practical Joker, while it's not good, isn't, it's just like, well, this is dumb. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's not a good episode, but it didn't, I didn't find it painful to watch i'll put it that way i i agree with that assessment i mean to say that the practical joker is still better than the mark of gideon or and the children shall lead i think that's pretty accurate uh not one of the better episodes of the animated series not by a long shot in fact i would say that this is you know i definitely have seen the next three moving forward and uh, i would say that this is probably my least favorite of the second season, the really short second season, which is only six episodes anyway, uh, definitely has its moments. And there is certainly one really awesome moment that was made relevant by something that happened in the first sure. episode of The Next Generation. Of course, you obviously know what I am talking about, mm-hmm. but it is still mildly amusing. There are a couple of things here that made me go, I wonder what these guys were smoking <laughs> when they were working on it, particularly when it comes to an inflatable decoy of the enterprise, but this is an animated series and by and large aimed at younger Saturday morning trekkers. Uh, Bill redirected this episode as he did all the season two episodes, all six season two episodes. The production number is 22021, making it the 21st episode of the animated series to go into production. It aired on September 21st, 1974, making it, the 98th episode of Star Trek to be broadcast, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and that that means that when we get to the uh, How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth, which is the episode that won Star Trek, its daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Children's Television Show, that'll be the 100th episode of Star Trek to be broadcast. I thought that was kind of cool. So Chuck Menville wrote this episode, and he co-wrote Once Upon a Planet with Len Jansen. Len Jansen uh, was also worked on his this script, even though he was not credited for it. First draft was written on May 23rd, 1974, with a revision on June 5th, 1974. And there were a couple episodes of the animated series, Steve, where you and I talked about it, and 
sort of, you know, the thing, the inciting incident that causes the problem for the Enterprise crew is resolved really, really easily. And there are, there are a couple things that I just thought, well, they could have done this or they could have done that or Kirk could have done this to make it feel like an episode of the original series. I'll get to that. <laughs> um, uh, well, as you said, it, it, it aired on September 21st, 1974 on the, here's, like I said, my sources are not as good for some reason at this point, but on September 16th, which is a big deal, Gerald Ford announces a conditional amnesty for Vietnam war deserters. Now that's a big deal. And you can imagine in 1974, just as the Vietnam war is ending, that there's gotta be a lot of really angry people veterans who had served about this happening and a lot of really happy people who were against the war that thought this was a great thing. So, um, so let me, cause I know you're, you're very, very astute with the, with history and stuff like this. So, you know, the Vietnam war kind of ended in 1973, but the fall of Saigon happened in 1975. Is that accurate? I, I, I you know what? I defer to your knowledge of dates better than mine. So <laughs> yeah, that sure. sounds that sounds right. I can't remember if it's seventy four or seventy five for the fall of Saigon, but it's something like that. You know, just like just had that image of the of that helicopter on the roof yeah. of the U.S. embassy. It's just such a wild thing. Everybody lined up to get on. Like we're getting out of here. Uh, right. But that's what was going on uh, when the animated series was going. Yeah, on September nineteenth, Jimmy Fallon was born. Was he born tonight? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know what? I don't know. It's a great question. I'm sure he was born live. <laughs> there you go. Um, and on the same day, this is terrible. As Hurricane Fifi hits Honduras, killing 5,000 people. Wow. Yeah, terrifying. And up in space on September 20, 21st, Mariner 10 does a flyby of the planet Mercury. Boy, that it must is, have been hot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that is all I have that was going on in the world at the time. Shall we get into the episode? Let's do it. Well, let's find out about the star date. Are they making sense again or are they still crazy? Okay. On one hand, yes, they are making sense because the star date for the Practical Joker is 3183.3, which puts it in the third year of the five-year mission of the Enterprise, specifically between the episodes Return of the Archons and A Taste of Armageddon. And I thought, okay, here you have one episode, Return of the Archons, that deals with a computer that becomes a sentient being, right? Mm-hmm. Then you have the practical Joker, which deals with a computer that becomes a sentient being. I mean, it was already kind of sentient anyway, but it was sort of becoming more sentient. And then a taste of Armageddon, in which there is a war between computers. So that makes it stack up quite nicely to fit it right in the middle of these two episodes. But then here's where it gets a little tricky. <laughs> Here's where it gets tricky. Okay. So when we see the three enemy ships, before we realize who they are, I looked at it. And again, because I don't remember watching the episode, I went, oh, three Klingon Klingon warships. But then they're described as Romulans. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah. Uh, Certainly we, we find out in the original series that the Romulans were using Klingon design. Right. Because somebody, because somebody sat on the bird of prey model. That's what happened. Right. But the problem is, is that the Enterprise incident in which that comment is made, Romulans are using Klingon design, happened in the fifth, you know, start a five something, you know. So this took place before that. So when Scotty is all surprised when he sees the, uh, the, the Romulan, you know, warship and says, that's a Klingon ship, that happened after this episode. So but in this episode, he describes it, he's talking about it as, as the Romulan, so that's where, you know, once again, my star date theory kind of gets a shot out of the uh, out of the stars. But I kind of like that Practical Joker takes place between Return of the Archons and Taste of Armageddon. Uh, they were definitely having a lot of computer issues uh, on the Enterprise during that time. Well, and we can say that the reason that Kirk knew how to be so aggressive in Taste of Armageddon was from the deep lessons he learned about facing a computer in the Practical Joker. There you go. I like, I love that reasoning. That is what we do. We link it all together. <laughs> we make up stuff. That <laughs> and we run with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, what we hear again, we're finishing some routine geological surveying. Hey, we're finishing ahead of schedule. And then we come around the planet and there are, and it's funny, I did the same thing. I wrote down, oh, Klingon ships. And then found out, no, these are Romulan ships. 
and they just open fire. And Scotty says, A cold-blooded ambush. Let's give the heathens a fight they won't soon forget. One of my problems with this episode is, you know, we've said that those are the characters and they really got it. I don't know who the hell they're writing for Scotty. It's like Scotty becomes, I have to throw in some weird quip every time I have a line. In fact, most of the characters don't really ring true in this episode. In my and there's a reason for that. First of all, you're absolutely right. Second, the Dorothy Fontana, who was a story editor for the first season, was not involved in season two. And even though David Gerald's uh, screenplay for Bem was produced for season two, he was kind of gone when all that happened uh, because that was intended for season one. They only used it for season two because they'd already bought it. So Roddenberry was not there. Dorothy Fontana was not there, or at least not in the spiritual sense. So they were not working on the show at all. And that is why, specifically in this episode, I agree with you, they are not acting in character, at least not most of the time. There are moments when they definitely are. But my question for you, Steve Morris, is this. Why are the Romulans attacking the Enterprise? Dude, it doesn't make any... And I was like waiting for the end when we find out what happened. We don't find out. There's no There's no explanation. What we hear is that the, that the Enterprise crossed the neutral zone, Kirk denies it, and we never hear what happened. Right. We never find out like why specifically the Romulans were... Were, were attacking. I mean, if they're if they're claiming that the Enterprise crossed over into the neutral zone, you know, past the neutral zone into Romulan territory, and Kirk, Kirk is saying, "No, we didn't." <laughs> well, I kind of believe Kirk in this in, in this. Instance. It just doesn't. It's just it doesn't make sense. It was funny. I'll tell you my memory because I, I I knew I had seen the show. I had a vague memory of what it was about. And I was like, "Oh, there's all these practical jokes happening," and I went, "Oh, maybe." The first practical joke is fooling the Romulans into thinking the Enterprise crossed the neutral zone or messing with the Enterprise's navigation so it crossed it or something like that, which isn't what happens in the show. Yeah. It's and it's just like it's just but that's just bad writing, you know. Yeah, I agree. It's just agree. terrible writing. Uh they're hit again. We we you know, we're we're in trouble, and then we see, which is a classic Star Trek thing. Oh, there's some energy field in our way. Let's go into it to escape the Romulans, and they head through. And I will say. The way they animated that energy field, I think, looks really cool and very different and felt more sophisticated to me than the animation we've been seeing up to this point. I thought it was a step forward. I, I agree. So they're going into the energy field, and it was Sulu's idea to steer hmm. the Enterprise into the energy field. So basically, everything that happens to the Enterprise and the Enterprise computer and the crew, it's all Sulu's fault. Because he, you know, he steered, hey, let's go in here. Let's uh, let's escape from the Romulans in here uh, and ride it out. But I agree with you. The animation was pretty cool. And, you know, it's a, it's a good uh, uh, action-y type of moment. And so, so, you know, this energy field, we don't know what it is. Spock even says it's not on any of the charts. But they go through it anyway. And, you know, it reminded me, of course, of the lights of Zetar, there is mm -hmm. an energy force out there. We don't know what it is. And I thought that, like they could have they could have utilized that, you know, like maybe with a rewrite or two made that more like, well, what is this thing? You know, that's never really explained either, because like Spock said, it's not on any of the charts. So you know, there's some missed opportunities here. And I get that it's only 22 minutes without the credits. But still, come on. Well, and this is the thing is that. So often when you're writing, you're like, I need to get my character here because this is what the movie's going to be about. And then you have to come up with a reason for the character to get there. And so what they did was like, well, what we want is for the ship, the Enterprise itself to play jokes on the on the crew. And so what we need is for it to go through a thing. So they come up with the idea for the energy field. And they're like, well, why do they go into the energy field? And they go, oh, they're being chased by Romulans. But then you have to figure out why that works in your story. It's like if the only reason they're being chased by Romulans is to get them into the energy field in order to turn the Enterprise into what you want to do with it, well, that's a failure as a writer. Like yeah. you have to come up with like throw the Romulans, just throw them out. Come up with a better reason that they end up in the energy or you don't even need the energy field because the point is to get the Enterprise to become a practical joker. That's the point, you know, so come up with a better way that that happens rather than do all this other stuff. I agree completely. So, but we managed to get through it, and then we end up in a really weird scene where they're eating, 
And it just all doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? Like the food seems like the wrong kind of food. It's very fancy in a way that we've never seen them all eating a fancy meal together, ex- unless we we're entertaining Khan or something. Right. You know, right, sure. or or Miranda Jones. Like that th- that's not this. They're having and they're having toasts, and it just seems like it's like you never watched Star Trek to me, you know. I agree. Right, right. And then they have a toast, and then Sulu his, his dribbles on himself. Hey. This glass just leaked all over me. And then they've all dribbled all over themselves. And, and you know, just, just the way that it's animated looks a little wonky. I mean, I know I've up to this point, in many cases where I probably should have been more critical about it, I've given the show a pass and graded it on a curve thinking like, well, it's part of the, it's all part of this like factory of animation going on at Filmation Studios and you know you've got people working on multiple shows and and but hey it's the it's the actors the same voices and the same writers but not this year and it feels like it uh, it feels like a contrived moment. Well, I, I think part of the part of the thing that happens is that um, errors or weaknesses are cumulative. So if the story was good and the dialogue is good and the animation seems a little weak, you can forgive the animation. But when the story is weak and the dialogue is weak and the animation is weak, you can't forgive anymore, you know? Yeah, yeah. My, my grading on a curve was thrown out the window for this episode. Yeah. Well, and and then and, and it's, and the reactions aren't right because, okay, we have this – there have never been practical jokers on the Enterprise. It's not acceptable behavior. Kirk wouldn't accept – if you're having a fancy meal with the officers and some people are toasting, he wouldn't accept these practical jokes. The, the the there's a bendy fork thing and then everyone laughs and it's like no obviously something serious is going on this isn't yeah. you know this isn't just silly um and then the next one we end up on the bridge and spock looks through some new device that just popped up on his console and turns around and has the rings around his eyes and everyone laughs and it's just so dumb it's well first of all look not only is it dumb and yes it is it is dumb but how did a computer put this device on Spock's console? I mean, it would have been one thing if like there was a crew member, crew member yeah. who was playing practical Joe, so like put it there himself or herself, but like it was put there by the enterprise computer and yet nobody noticed it. And like, how does the, how does the computer put it there? And it's a little, it's a little, it is silly is what it is. Yep. And the silliness continues in the next scene in the galley where, Emres and Eric's are sitting having a meal and Scotty shows up to get his sandwich and then sandwiches and food start flying out of the replicator or food synthesizer, whatever we called it at this point. And we get another one of these Scotty and he goes, hold it just a doggone minute. I said one sandwich, that's all. Somebody turn off this infernal food factory. And they all laugh at him and he accuses them of doing it, none of which rings true to me. Right, and you know. he gets a pie in the face, you know. And then a pie in the face. Uh, now, now, one thing that I could have like was trying to sort of steer that my my anticipation for the rest of the episode is at first these practical jokes start start off as we don't know who's doing it, but it's 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 all pretty harmless and it gets amusing, and then the jokes get to be to the point where the crew is actually in danger. And yep. it stops being funny and it turns into something serious. And you know what episode really did a great job of shifting tones? And I, I remember do. we talked about this, you know, more than two years ago when we were first starting our podcast together, Steve. What episode am I talking about? Naked Time. The Naked Time. You know, it was kind of fun there for a little while. You know, you got people running around the Enterprise laughing and acting drunk. You know, you've got uh, Riley singing I'll Take You Home Again, Kathleen, and and uh, D'Artagnan, uh, Sulu on the bridge. Right. But then, then you know, the last, uh, you know, the last act is like, this, this shit got real. Like, we're in deep, yeah. deep trouble. And that would have been great if this went there, if it got to be like, this is no joking matter. Like, our lives are in danger. And they are. But it's still played for for silly laughs. Uh, to, to me, the difference is character. There are a lot of f- funny episodes of Star Trek. We all love, or you and I love the funny episodes of Star Trek, whether it's Tribbles or the first half of Naked Time or um, I Mud. The characters are acting within character and responding right. to things the way they are. And part of it is that Kirk can be funny and Kirk and Spock together can be funny. It's not throwing a bunch of funny junk at them. 
You know what I mean? And have them respond out of character. You know what? I mean, like, because in Tribbles, in iMud, all of those things are taken seriously because they are serious things happening. But there are funny things within it that work with the characters. Like Scotty, Scotty in the fight in the bar, that's all based on who Scotty is and who the Rom, the Klingons are and what they all want and what their motivations are. And you get a really fun scene. It's not externally trying to make things funny. You know, That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. Even a piece of the action. Uh, which is which I you know, my favorite funny, yeah I, yeah yeah when I was growing up I always thought oh but, you know, out of all the comedy episodes Tribbles is the best but you know during this uh, journey on our podcast I was like you know what now I mean I love Tribbles but absolutely a piece of the action is the the best of those comedic turns well and and they are following their motivations to achieve what they need to achieve and they're mm-hmm. using humor and funny situations to do it but it's all within their characters. And we, and we hear that things are gotten worse and that friends are accusing other friends and this is getting everyone on edge. And then we're on the bridge. Eric's, by the way, is sitting in the command chair and yep. in walks Kirk who says, Okay, this whole thing has gone far enough. Sir? I've just picked up my clean uniforms from the service chute and when I put this one on, I discovered this. And he turns around and what does it say on the back of his uniform shirt? It says, Kirk is a jerk. And I actually chuckled when I saw this. <laughs> but so it is funny. And I actually chuckled there too. But the thing is, is like, they should be going, what the hell is going on? Something very serious is happening. It might be seem like jokes, but all of our systems are malfunctioning and weird things are happening and it doesn't make it, they should be on full alert at this point. Absolutely. Not, yeah. yeah. Like, like, a ser- like no one's fessing up. No, they have not captured the culprit, but yet the situations are becoming more extreme. It's still amusing, but now uh, we have a situation where there's fog on one of the decks, and the 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 floor, the bulkhead floor, is is frozen solid. Uh, by the way, I will say the animation of Kirk and Spock almost slipping and falling is really funny. I actually <laughs> yeah, genuinely yeah, like yeah. that moment because the deck is now covered with ice. How how was this happening? Why is this happening? There's that laugh again. And Spock says, the evidence all points to one guilty party. You mean you know who's behind these stunts? Not who, what? I believe our practical joker is the Enterprise itself. Now that feels Star Trek to me. Like like yeah. where Spock is the one who deduces like, this is what the problem is. Spock, I want all hands at the stations. We're going to run a complete systems check from bow to stern and get to the bottom of this. Cut to McCoy, Uhura, and Sulu standing in front of, a door, front of a door, and they say, Good. The rec room is unoccupied. At least we can enjoy our off hour without worrying about practical jokes. And they walk into this room, and the door closes just as the general alert is sounded, so they don't hear that. And we go into what I think is a really cool high angle of this empty room with a console at the middle, and Sulu suggests a swim at the beach. And he pushes a button and suddenly they are outdoors at the beach. So I'm sitting back on my on my couch watching this episode, taking notes. And when that happened, I sat up really fast. I went, well, shiver me timbers if it isn't the holodeck. And it's, yeah, that's what this is. It's the holodeck. It is totally well. And this is the well. I mean, it's like in our. We just had the introduction of the name Tiberius in an okay episode of the animated series. Yeah, like we, you know, this is as clearly establishing canon, and they clearly had a really, really cool idea. This is a great idea. In fact, yeah. Gene Roddenberry intended in the third season of the original series for this rec room, as it's called in the animated series. Mm to make its appearance in the live action show. But this was the, now the third season of the original show. We know what happened to the budget right. in that episode, in that season, it got slashed again. And that prevented Gene's Gene Roddenberry's holodeck from happening in the original series. But in animation, of course, it's a whole different ball game. They can do whatever they want. Now, Dorothy Fontana, who wasn't really involved with the second season of the animated series, she was involved with the first season of The Next Generation. Now, you would think that absolutely positively, the writers, especially Fontana, 
who co-wrote Encounter at Farpoint, in which, you know, the holodeck makes a very, very big appearance, you know, with Riker and Data, uh, that she took that from the animated series because she still worked on it, you know, maybe not as much. Maybe she might have left, but I, I find it hard to believe that she shut the door and was like, don't bother me. But she insists that she and the writers did not remember the practical Joker when they were conceiving the idea for the Enterprise D version of the holodeck. She insists that, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, obviously, there's no way for me to know. It's, it's, it's funny. It's less surprising to me now than it would have been a few years ago because I have realized now that memories work really differently for different people. Like we just had the you bringing up the dates of the Vietnam War. And I'm like, I'm not good at dates. I'm really good at like so remembering stories of things. But I am really bad at dates. I'm bad at names. I'm bad at faces. I'm bad at there's a bunch of stuff that just go right. And I don't really remember what I did yesterday or what I'm supposed to do tomorrow. You know, so like (laughs) and I also, you know, having worked with people where I'll be like, hey, remember when we worked on this project together? And they're like, I have no memory of that at all. But it was like I was in a play with them or something. You know what I mean? So so it's not it's less surprising to me now. And it's and it's also, you know, Roddenberry brings up this idea of the rec room and it kind of goes and someone else hears it. And then and Dorothy Fontana probably heard it in 1966 or something or 67. And then she's gone off this show. But someone who is at filmation, you know, remembers it and they and it goes into this script and no one's really paying attention. It's not like. Dorothy Fontana was probably pouring over episodes of the animated series after she left. She probably wasn't paying that much because it's a gig, you know? Right, right, sure. Um, But it is certainly a cool idea. And we decide against the beach and we switch it to the woods. It's so peaceful, so relaxing, and best of all, no practical jokes. And as they're doing this, we start to see a pit being created and covered with branches and leaves. And we fade out as they are walking towards this pit. And that is the end of act one. They, they, they think it's so relaxing. Well, you, uh, you're, you're, you're setting yourself up for, for a fall. <laughs> and, and I don't know, but this felt, I think it was 10 plus minutes, like the longest first act we've had. I in, agree. In yep. It was a long first act. Um, which is also, I feel like structurally it wasn't, you know, it doesn't quite fit all fit together very well. So we come back in act two and we're continuing to uh, walk through the woods and then crash. We fall into the pit and then we get some dumb jokes as we hear the computer laughing. I'm going to get to the bottom of this right now. Get to the bottom of this. (laughs) So we fell for your juvenile joke. Now get us out. Fell for my joke and laughs more. So, of course, the Enterprise computer is uh, voiced by Majel Barrett, just like she was in the original show. And it's funny uh, the way that the Enterprise computer is starting to laugh uh, mm-hmm. and uh, play these jokes. In a little way, it kind of reminded me of Tomorrow's Yesterday when the Enterprise computer was being flirty with Kirk while he was doing mm. his captain's log, calling him dear. And, of course, this is far more extreme and serious. Uh, but, yeah, the Enterprise computer – you know, sometimes it needs a little bit of a tune-up. I think that Majel Barrett really failed in this particular role because I don't think she figured out how to be the voice of the Enterprise computer and be this laughing character. I don't think she bridged the two in a way that made it work. I agree. It didn't. It didn't work. Uh, it would have been, I think, better if uh, if the the change in tone of the Enterprise computer was actually a little scary instead of just being silly, which is what it is. Well, you said a thing earlier, and I think this is also one of the problems of the script. And I want to, I want to circle back to it, which is you talked about the enterprise being sentient. So is the enterprise sentient? Was it, or sentient, however you want to pronounce it, was it sentient before this happened? Did it just gain consciousness when this happened? And if so, and again, it's the same, the the Enterprise computer is a character in this episode, and that character has no motivation. It just likes playing practical jokes. It's like, well, is it actually something with a consciousness that wants things and desires things? Like, what's happening? And I I just think they, they thought it was funny to have the Enterprise play practical jokes, but they didn't really think about what the Enterprise wanted or why it was doing what it was doing. Okay, so that's the that's a really great question. How aware of itself is the Enterprise computer? And you know, I think we discussed 
this before, maybe while we were doing uh, Ultimate Computer, that you know the enterprise computer is at their service. Yeah. It's going to do what it's asked to do, but it's not going to do something on its own. And now you have the computer doing stuff on its own. So it is it has gained a level of consciousness that uh, as we're going to we move through this second act, maybe have another epiphany, but I'll wait till we get there before I say what it is. I, yeah, I, I definitely don't think the enterprise computer is conscious because, and it's funny, there's the, what's the, because um, I don't remember the names even of the animated series, but the sequel to Shore Leave that we have. Once Upon a Planet. Once Upon a Planet. So in that one, they talk about our partnership with computers and things. And I and it really didn't ring true to both of us because it's like, no, I don't think that's, they don't have that relationship with the computer. And right. I think the fact that it's not like the M5, which is conscious on some level, shows that the enterprise computer is not conscious. And so what that means, too, is they're ignoring this whole crazy thing that happened. It was like, wait, did the enterprise computer gain consciousness? Oh, my God, that's amazing. Right. But, did the enterprise become a living thing? Right. But no, they just wanted it to play dumb jokes. Um, So we're back on the bridge and we decided to quiz the computer. Question. Why are we unable to communicate with crew members McCoy, Sulu, and Uhura? Answer. That is for me to know and for you to find out. So they get nowhere asking these questions. And then Kirk brings on the full Kirk and he says, This is Captain James T. Kirk speaking. You are programmed to obey any direct order I may give, correct? Correct. Very well, I order you to release crew members McCoy, Sulu, and Uhura immediately. Say, please. And I, 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 I do like that Spock tells him to comply, and you get the very angry from Kirk. Please. <laughs> yes. You could see Shatner, like, can you imagine if this was live action? This would this would have played to Shatner's comedic strength. Yeah. As, as flawed as the episode itself is, I think Shatner would have had a good time with it. And it sounds like he's having a good time with it. So we're not getting anywhere with the computer. He calls down to Scotty, tells him about the computer. We got to shut off the computer because it's kidnapped our crew members. Scotty says, Kidnapped? Blue lasers. <laughs> Where are all these? It's so weird, the stuff they put in Scotty's mouth, you know? Like, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so we decide we're going to uh, shut down the computer. Back on the hollow deck, I'll say, we climb out of the, the hole um, and... McCoy is angry, and the computer says, Temper, temper. Perhaps this will cool you off. <laughs> and it turns from the woods to a winter storm. We've got a whiteout condition here. How will we ever find the exit? Seeing the, you know, Uhura and Sulu and McCoy in the winter storm, you know, as they're trying to, you know, they can't see the de- yeah. the, the bulkheads, so they can't find their way to the exit. They got a whiteout situation on their hands is what, what Sulu says. And the first of the three of them to really succumb to the cold, the temperature, the frigid temperature, is McCoy. Mm. And remember in all our yesterdays, when they were trapped in uh, Sarpedon's past, uh, the Ice Age, as they're looking for shelter, it's McCoy who gives in to the elements. Of course, you know, right. Spock is much, much stronger. But right. uh, yeah, I guess McCoy does not have a, a you know, sort of a, a, a thick skin for the for the well, temperature. He, he grew up in the South. It was very warm where he came from. Yeah, warm true. Weather guy. <laughs> I know it wasn't going to happen in the animated series. I know it wasn't going to happen in 1974. But I really wanted a horror to say, oh, you're cold. Do you see what I'm wearing? Look at my outfit. Like, <laughs> you know, you want to walk around the winter storm in a, in a miniskirt? Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, it's like it's like remember in Star Wars, uh, The Force Awakens, uh, when Han Solo and Chewbacca were trying to, you know, infiltrate the the Empire thing, whatever, and it's during a snowstorm, and your Chewbacca go, arr, 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 and Han Solo goes, "You're cold." <laughs> exactly. That it was a perfect. <laughs> it's a perfect moment for a joke. Scotty tries to disable the computer. The computer reverses the gravity, which I think is a cool thing to do on the Enterprise. Yep. And they tell him to back away, and maybe it'll, maybe the computer felt threatened, and if you back away, it'll release the threat. I loved watching Scotty crawl along the ceiling of the Enterprise back out into the corridor. Something you couldn't do in the live action. He said, and then he falls when he gets in the corridor. corridor. I just got to quote all these Scotty lines because I think they don't work. You bloody big scattered brain. 
Make up your monumental mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Scotty's not Scotty in this one. No, it's terrible. Back on the bridge, Spock has figured out, which we already probably had guessed, that it was something about passing through the energy field. As a result, the Enterprise is suffering the electronic equivalent of a nervous breakdown. Now, here's the thing. Yes. Here it is. The Enterprise's computer is suffering the electronic equivalent of a nervous breakdown. When have we seen a computer operating a vast spaceship suffer a nervous breakdown? Uh, in 2001. Correct. So for the second time in as many animated episodes, we have a moment that could easily or certainly, well, maybe not easily, but certainly for our purposes, linking an animated episode of Star Trek to 2001 A Space Odyssey, because that is exactly what happens to the HAL 9000 computer. HAL has a nervous breakdown uh, because he was uh, given conflicting information, which causes him to kill the other crew members aboard the SS Discovery. Uh, fortunately, that's not what happens in The Practical Joker, but it could have gone on that direction. So uh, it is totally unfair to compare this below average episode of the animated series to one of the greatest science fiction films of all time, 2001 A Space Odyssey. And yet that's exactly what I'm going to do. Which is that, this is the thing about a motivation, is that Hal has great motivations of why he's doing what he's doing. And not only are they great motivations, but they're motivations that we can actually never know the truth about, which is what makes it so compelling because Hal believes a, that this system was going to fail and the other Hal 9,000 says that it's wrong. So it could be that Hal is actually right. And that other 9,000 is wrong. It could be. And he does see that the crew members are going to try to kill him by reading their lips. So he is protecting himself in the mission. All of the things he does, and he, he might have made the mistake and he might be going insane. And he like, all those things are true. And that's what makes Hal a fascinating, interesting character is all of his, all of his motivations and the reasons why he's doing what he's doing or why he thinks he should be doing what he's doing. And none of that is in this episode. Obviously, Unfortunately not. But as we discussed on the cinephiles, when we talked about 2001, uh, as a result of all of that, because Hal, Hal's mission was to go to Jupiter and to, to uh, discover what the monolith is. Now that information was kept from the crew. So now the crew is talking about deactivating Hal, it, which will prevent him from completing its mission, which is why exactly. he, he, it, you know, I would say he at this point, and that makes Hal the most human character of anyone that we see and hear in 2001, a space odyssey. And, exactly. you know, this moment, I would say it's a coincidence of, the, uh, of sorts. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, makes you think of 2001 a little, and I would never have expected an animated episode of Star Trek to go in that direction. But I think it is that line about the enterprise suffering a nervous breakdown is fascinating to me. Pun intended. Uh, We're outside the rec room and we got some red guys who call up to the bridge and say, search party seven to bridge bridge here report captain. Our sensors show the missing crew members are in the rec room. All right, but the door's jammed. Can I ask you this question? Why did we need seven search parties? when we already knew they were in the rec room. <laughs> right. Absolutely. That's a really good point. I didn't think about that, but you're right. <laughs> I mean, you know where they are, uh, but the, but the door is jammed. So we're going to have to use, so we send a Scotty to get the thing opened and then we're on the bridge and Kirk, as he's trying to talk to Scotty starts laughing. <laughs> Report. <laughs> Captain, what is it? Are you all? <laughs> And Scotty starts laughing and Emres starts laughing and all of them start laughing except, in fact, everyone starts laughing except Spock. Come on, Spock. Where's, where's that Vulcan sense of humor? Now, first of all, I don't believe that reaction of where's your Vulcan sense of humor. You should be going, I can't stop laughing. You know, like. Spock, what's the matter with it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then Spock says. Just as I thought, our air is being pumped full of nitrous oxide, better known as laughing gas. But it's no laughing matter, especially for Vulcans. And at the same time, we cut to the blizzard where they're all laughing. And Sulu says, I, I know, if we, don't, if we don't keep moving, we're going to freeze. That brings us to the end of Act Two. <laughs> so a couple things. One is yeah. I found them in the snow at the act break, a totally dramatic cliffhanger 
end of an act. Like isolated from the rest of the episode that I don't think is working well, I think that moment is working well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what it's no laughing matter, especially for Vulcans means. Oh, yeah. No laughing matter. Well, because Spock is not laughing. He's not being yeah, affected by the nitrous oxide. I guess. It's, does, it does, that doesn't quite work. And then we come back in Act 3, and we just hear in the log that Spock saved them. Right, yeah, yeah. You don't see it. It wouldn't be interesting. Sure I mean, if you're going to have them, you know, do a switch, open up, do something, would have been more... Basically, doing something would have been much more interesting than doing nothing, is what I'm basically saying. Yeah. And Scotty can't use the power tools because they're being drained by something from the ship, and so we got giant crowbars, which we're opening this thing with. And as you said, McCoy kind of does the go on without you. And suddenly they're on a warm platform. Come on, doctor. We're finally getting out of here. I hate to be a pessimist, but uh, that may not be as easy as you think. And then right as he says that we see the crowbars come through the doors in what I think is cool visual. And they open up the door. And they open the way they open up the door and that you, and then you see the enterprise behind the doors mm -hmm. But they're still like on the holodeck, yeah. so to speak. The image that is something that we saw many, many times throughout the yeah. year on the next generation, which I thought was very cool and find it really hard to believe that none of them right. knew about this thing from the animated series. Well, in particular, as you said, this shot is exactly what we're going to see a ton. I think this is all wrong. It does, this is all bad story stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Visually, I think it's good. But why would the computer say we have our characters in a desperate situation and then it's literally deus ex machina because the computer just saves them. It's like, wouldn't it have been better to be like they're almost dying and maybe even they find the door and they can't get the door open and it's winter and they're freezing and shivering and then the crowbars come through in the winter so that humans save them. Or, wouldn't, yeah. or, or even better, why don't we save saving them until we save the whole ship in the end of Act 3? So that because that's how start that's classic Star Trek structure is we've got to solve all the problems at once, you know, with a ticking the ticking clock is they're freezing in the holodeck and we have to get them out and the crowbars aren't working and so we have to you know fix the enterprise computers to open the doors and then they save them at the last minute. Wouldn't right, that that's been very better? TOS. That's very yeah. TOS. You know, the stakes are the stakes are increasing and the clock is ticking. That is yeah. very very TOS. So we're back on the bridge, all happy about what happened. I'd just like to make one request. Sure, Bones, what? Could you turn up the heat? Then suddenly the ship it goes out of control and they're heading back towards the neutral zone. And are we going to run into the Romulans? We definitely are. And suddenly the cargo hatch opens. And what comes out of the cargo hatch, Scott? A decoy balloon of the Enterprise. <laughs> And I went, this is just absurd. What? A decoy balloon of the Enterprise? And you mean to tell me that the Romulans can't tell that it's a decoy balloon of the Enterprise? I mean, yeah. what is it doing there? Why is it there? What's the purpose of it? Is this the purpose of it to, to be a decoy if the case they're under attack? I mean, that's certainly the purpose that it's being served here. But I just went, this is just silly. It's a couple of things about it. One is they say that it's 20 times the size. They say that, but it doesn't look particularly way bigger than the Enterprise right, or the Romulan right. ships. So that doesn't quite work. And then they give the motivation of like, oh, the Enterprise wants to humiliate the Romulans by making them attack this inflatable thing because they know how big a deal shame is for the Romulans and this will shame them. That doesn't, that doesn't. It's, it's, it's an extremely contrived motivation. Yep. So the Romulans, you know, fire on the balloon, which deflates, and we hear more laughter. We've been tricked after them. I want that Federation ship blasted into space dust. Then what Kirk says is, I don't care about the Romulans. I, I, I just want to avoid that energy field we passed through before. And Kirk looks really scared, Scott. He does look really scared. Kirk is, I think, at this moment, even though it's a weird, a weird uh, tactic, it's very Kirk of him to do this. Yes. Kind of, you know, bluffing it. No, not bluffing, yeah. so to speak. Uh, I've, I've used that word wrong before. Um, he's playing a practical joke of his own. Exactly. On the practical joker. Which is he pretends to be scared of it, knowing that when the Enterprise thinks that he's scared of it, it will take them there. And the Enterprise does change the course, goes into the energy 
field. Again, we see those cool graphics. The Romulans follow them into it, but their ships can't handle it, and so they head home, thus resolving the Romulan conflict where we never found out why the hell they were fighting them in the first place. And then there's more laughter, and very much in HAL 9000 way, we hear... My circuit, how good What the devil you? is going on? It's not Did we destroy the consciousness of the Enterprise in this moment? Uh, yes. I mean, the Enterprise went back to servicing its 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 uh its biological infestations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it does. And now we can suddenly control the ship, and then we get to, we hear some transmissions from the Romulans where they're clearly having the same problems the Enterprise did, because apparently this energy field affects their computers in exactly the same way as it affected our computer. Turn off those food synthesizers. We're knee-deep in desserts, and they're still pouring out. Which also doesn't sound very Romulan. No, it does uh, not. Yeah, with Romulan, the, with Romulan eating a chocolate ice cream sundae, I, don't, I doubt it, yeah. but maybe. <laughs> Shall we tell them how they can reverse the effects of the field, Jim? Yes, but later. Let's not spoil their fun just yet. And we all laugh, and that is the end of the episode. Okay, so a few things to say. First of all, the fact that the problem is fixed just by going back through the energy field, that that reverses the problem. It should have made the problem worse, but it it fixed the problem because this is a 22-minute episode and you got to wrap it up. But what if you had a moment where, on one hand, Kirk does outsmart the computer by playing this uh, sort of paranoid, scare, practical joke on the computer, and it worked. But maybe it would have worked better if Kirk had to come up with a better plan or more of a reasoning with the computer to release controls, like like a real Kirk moment, like you saw with Nomad and you saw with the M5, where he realizes like, you know, the computer like shuts down or, or you know, I don't want to say self-destructs like uh, Nomad did because that would have been right. bad. But that would have been cool to have like, a, like, like a, a great Kirk moment of Kirk outsmarting the computer. Second, it does seem like a weak resolve that going back through the astro, the energy field resolves the problems. Third, again, like you brought up, why are the Romulans attacking? Well, wouldn't it have been good or cool? And of course, this is all, you know, hindsight is 2020. But what if there was actually like a Romulan ambassador aboard the Enterprise who was going to share secrets with the Federation about the cloaking mm. device. Mm. Then you've got a reason for the Romulans to attack the Enterprise because then if they expose the how the cloaking device is built, then you know that's going to be ineffective. So that would have give them, given the Romulans a motivation and it would have increased the ticking clock element and the stakes of the episode. There are a lot of re- lot of ways in which this episode could have been improved, made better, made sense, and it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, I I th- a I think that's a good idea and I think, you know, and it's so funny cuz people have heard me talk about film school now many many times on this, but in teaching my students frequently I'll have students who go like I want to do this. I have an idea where there is a cat chasing someone and they fall down the stairs or whatever it is. And and then they try to figure out ways to make the thing they want to have happen, happen. In this case, it was, I want to see a bunch of practical jokes played on the crew by the enterprise. And then they figure out how to make that happen. And that's not how stories work. You can't start there, you know, like, and if you're trying to force things like that, it just doesn't work. And it's funny, like, this is truly an episode where I go, they just went, kids aren't going to, they're not going to worry about why the Romulans were doing what they're doing. They're not going to worry about what the energy field does or doesn't do. They're just going to think it's funny to see Spock with the rings around his eyes or Kirk is a jerk. And maybe sometimes they're right, but it does, but that's not the standard that I have for Star Trek, you know? Right. I feel like this was an episode that actually did, did speak to its audience, yeah. you know, instead of having the audience rise to the Star Trek of it all. This was an episode like, let, let's do an episode for our audience, for our Saturday morning audience. And as a result, it's a, it's a, it's a weak, weaker episode of the animated series. And it is uh, 
Uh, like I mentioned before, the weakest of the six second season episodes of the animated series. I guess, look, you know, having the holodeck make its appearance, you know, in the rec room. I mean, that's extremely cool. cool to, you know, put that into canon moving forward into next generation. And there was actually talk of there being a holodeck on the Enterprise in Star Trek, the motion picture, but it never got there. Uh, I think that's really cool that we see the holodeck. It's like that made the episode worth, worthwhile, but not really. But, but you know, uh, we are curious to know what you think of the Practical Joker from the animated series. Let us know on our Facebook page. Please engage us. You know, Let us know in the comments on our Facebook page because we engage with you. We love reading your comments. And uh, let us know what you have been thinking about the second season of the animated series so far. And you could also reach us on Twitter, which is Enter Incidents, on Instagram, which is Enterprise Incidents. Of course, you've already subscribed to the show. But if you haven't already subscribed to the show, come on, subscribe to the show. Be a pal. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on YouTube, on Overcast, on Stitcher, a whole bunch of other places. And if you are on Apple Podcasts and haven't already, it would be great if you could leave a review. If you're on YouTube, leave those comments. We love them. And if you want to support the show, you could do it right by clicking on the link in the show notes. It's Spotify for podcasters. You can support us for as little as 99 cents a month, as much as $9.99 a month. It is a huge help. And if you want to reach me, you could do it at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. And since this was a comedy, I decided to look back and see, well, what comedies did we do on my other podcast, The Cinephiles? And well, we went all the way back to the silent era to one of the greatest silent films of all time, Buster Keaton's The General. Then moving into the sound area with Charlie Chaplin in modern times into screwball comedies with Duck Soup and His Girl Friday, then one of the greatest comedies ever made by Billy Wilder, Some Like It Hot. Of course, I love Willy Wonka and The Chocolate Factory. And in the 80s, we got Spinal Tap and The Blues Brothers, but no discussion of film comedies would be complete without a mention of the arguably the greatest comedy of all time and one of my favorite podcasts with my good friend Scott Mance when we talked about Airplane. Surely you can't be serious. <laughs> I am serious and stop calling me Shirley. What a pisser. <laughs> <laughs> that movie is still the best. Yes. Uh, and I remember when the three of us were recording our, our deep dive of Airplane. I think there were more laughs that oh, yeah. was actual commentary. So that is always a good time. Uh, yes, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Movie Mance, And please be sure to share Enterprise Incidents on your social media platforms. If you discovered Enterprise Incidents during our deep dives of episodes of the animated series, well, you are missing out because we also did a huge massive deep dive into the original series in a way that no one has ever looked at the original series. We linked all 80 episodes as an overreaching arc and have really opened the eyes of, of our appreciation of the original series. And so many other longtime fans have said that you've made me see the original series in a whole new way. So if you're not going back to hear our deep dives, of the greatest Star Trek episodes ever made, like City on the Edge of Forever, Mirror, Mirror, The Doomsday Machine, Balance of Terror, featuring the Romulans in an actual Romulan warship called the Bird of Prey. Please do so. But what is next on Enterprise Incidents? Well, we have just three episodes left to go on the animated series, and then we are done with the animated series. Coming up next is the episode Albatross. So please join us for the next episode of Enterprise Incidents. And until then, keep going boldly. Bold